With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome everyone to Rockin' Nation Podcast. My name is Sam Snelling. This is a brand new, brand spanking new episode of Dive Cuts. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about Mizzou basketball. Uh, with me as always, good friend Matt Harris. He is uh, playing the role of the, uh, I guess, you've already had COVID, um, so so you're the, uh, the immune in this case, but not the case with Missouri basketball. Matt, how are you? Uh, uh, I'm fine. Um, uh, my, my case was thanks to a uh, hairdresser giving my wife a COVID as on our wedding day as they got hair and makeup done, which was then shared with me. So, um, hopefully how the Missouri players, uh, or Missouri staff or whoever tier one personnel uh, were infected was uh, not as, uh, boring as my story. Uh, but I got over it. I didn't experience really any symptoms off of it. I was practically asymptomatic, so I guess I should count myself lucky. Um, I mean, other than the fact that uh, it occurred over your honeymoon, <laughs> which I mean, I mean it, it was going to be a lounge. It was going to be a loungy honeymoon anyway. <laughs> so that just locked it in. Yeah. That just that, that just you know it just settled that game plan. And the nice thing about it is, in this environment, is like if you're in Savannah, Georgia. You can um, call a fine restaurant and do a pickup order and like have them bring it to the car, and you're good. So I ate just as well as I would have if I had sat or dined in a restaurant that week. So it was 
Um, aside from, you know, quarantining around a uh, Airbnb, uh, it was pretty much like it would have been anywhere else. But um, other than that, I'm I'm fine now. I'm healthy now. I've had no uh, ill effects, and I hope that it's the same uh, for um, all the guys in the program right now and all the staff. It's uh, definitely not. No, we're kind of making light of it, but it's it's definitely not something uh, that you want to experience. Um, well, certainly, yeah. I mean, we've we've talked enough throughout this uh, the pandemic, uh, expressing the seriousness of it, um, and so. I guess, uh, yeah, for folks that are tuning in, it is a Monday, January 11th. That's when we're recording. The Mizzou basketball program is officially uh, on a pause after uh, an unknown number of positive tests. Uh, sources inside the program have indicated that everybody is feeling all right. Uh, it has not taken anybody, um, you know, I guess experiencing anything other than maybe some mild effects uh there was no indication that anyone was you know really that there there was a, a big concern uh that that this is going to have a serious drag in the season that's what i got out of it um it does sound like they're uh they are hopeful that they are going to be able to play this weekend um and then hopefully be able to get back on track because uh the, the fun thing about uh, trying to play sports in a pandemic, uh, particularly the way the SEC scheduled things, is, is they didn't really leave you a lot of wiggle room. So while there is, uh, you know, a, a, a padding of a week that they could make some games up at, at the end of the season, um, there's not a, lot of, not a lot of room to make up games uh, beyond that unless you start packing games, uh, multiple games in the middle of the week and... Uh, and then you're getting into a question of are guys playing too much and if you're playing that much are you you know putting guys in positions where stress injuries become a play so it, it's it, it, there are knock-on effects of that I know some people say they're 18 to 22 years old but um, it's especially if you're getting late in the season when you've had dings and you've been banged up or nicked up as the season's gone along um, you start to feel that in mid to late February. And then if you're trying to pack in, you get in a situation where you're trying to play three games a week and you've got to come out of that into a SEC tournament where you may be playing three to four games over consecutive days. It, it's just, it's a heavy workload. So um, th- they get an 11 day break now, but I would almost imagine that one, just for routine and for the sake of normalcy, they would rather have two games and a normal schedule, but also it just, it, it's an even distribution of work rate over the season. So that's, that's probably the, the first thing you think of when you hope that it's limited is one that people are healthy and, and able to, you know, come back and, you know, practice and play at something resembling full strength, but also I, I don't think anybody wants to be in a situation where we're getting into late February and you're playing eight, nine games in the span of, you know, two and a half weeks. That's just a, lot to put on guys at that time of year so um here's to hoping that uh saturday's you know a game that they can get in and they can get back into some semblance of uh, of a rhythm from here on out and this is the worst disruption they're going to have yeah so uh not only missouri uh south carolina is on their second uh pause um 
Yeah. And I think I counted that Ole Miss paused uh, beginning of the season. Tennessee paused the beginning of the season. Vanderbilt was on pause. Florida was on pause, I think. Well, so I think Florida was more like... Uh, no, they were having... They had... W- w- I think they may have had something in the summer. Did they have something I'm maybe at the beginning of the year that, that they pushed off some games and then kind of came back? Yeah. Because I know that they paused yeah. after Keontae Johnson... Keontae Johnson, um, yeah. ...had his episode. But they've had... They've had some hiccups down there. Um, so that's I mean, that's half but, the league. Yeah. Uh, which, and then you see tonight that Nebraska is going to go on pause. Um, Iowa State and Kansas State are postponed. Um, Villanova and Gonzaga have each had to briefly hit pause this season. So it's it's much more prevalent. I, I think if you look at the stoppages, I think Jeff Goodman had something out today, or he shared that there are forty-four programs on pause and like. 80% of them are in mid and low major leagues, which isn't a surprise given how uh, leaner budgets are um, down there. And that kind of restricts the frequency of testing you can do. Um, so it, it's hard. It's a little more difficult to manage at the, at the mid and low major level, but still we've seen stoppages at the high major level. Um, Missouri's turn uh, came this week. And like I said, if they get through, with everybody in, you know, not experiencing, you know, the worst of the symptoms that you can, that's in the uh, epidemiology of this thing or in the pathology of this thing, you can only miss two games. That's that, that's coming away relatively uh, with a relatively light bill uh, for this program. Yeah, and also considering uh, all the issues that the NBA seems to be going through, did you? Did you read it? Uh, we're getting a little bit of sidetrack, but did you read it all? Like, apparently the NBA's like COVID guidance, like they're yeah. saying that you you can't really catch COVID like playing in a basketball game, which is like utterly ridiculous. Uh, that 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 would seem to defy how uh, droplet spread works. But that's <laughs> it... again, I just work for a medical school. <laughs> I am not a medical professional, but uh. Everything that I've talked to with our guys here who manage infectious disease about this is that airborne droplets aren't, like, selective on when they, like, go out or don't. They just kind of get propelled. They don't really have, like, any self-determinism. They're not like, I'm going to hang out in Seth Curry's mouth for two hours while we play this game. It's, yeah. Uh, Philadelphia 76 trying to play with seven guys. Cleveland getting a waiver to sign Yogi Ferrell on a 10-day deal. (laughs) <laughs> to go over the roster slot max it's uh, the nba is uh not covering itself in glory after making it after demonstrating that you could play sports in a bubble they chucked that plan and uh and i, I get i get it they want to hopefully have some limited arena capacity at some point they want to have players don't want to go and be away from their family again but part of me thinks if they were going to start it up Maybe they should have started the first two months in a bubble, waited till vaccinations got to a, a certain level, and then considered moving back because it's you're right, it's been a, a complete shit show. Well, I, I do think uh, that the like there's even some more like regionalized bubbles that you could have done, um, you know, to to maybe make things just a little bit better. And I like it's kind of like what the NCAA is doing with March Madness. They're moving everything to, to Indianapolis or the Indianapolis area, which I think is a smart thing. 
Um, you know, because the one thing that you really don't want to do is you just don't want to have people flying all over the country. Um, you know, I, I feel when you get everybody in one spot, you can control things a little bit better. I think that we've seen uh, the Mohegan Sun had some success kind of doing doing it that way. Um, and again, like there's there's no perfect system. I mean, even, you know, we saw that even the NBA bubble, as successful as it was, it was it was fairly leaky. And, and, and that was also at a time when like COVID community infection. Yeah. Like the COVID overall, uh, was way more under control than it is right now. So when they do it in Indy, what they're going to have working for them is, um, all their locations are aside from Mackey and, uh, assembly hall are all within like, 15 minutes of downtown um if the um, number of hotel rooms downtown here is insane um so you're going to be able to quarantine and and spread guys um the practice floors they decide to do at the convention center here i mean it's a massive convention center it's one of i think the three or four largest in the country um so they're going to be able to spread teams and practice gyms Uh, the other thing that's sort of underrated here but is kind of an, an important deal in a pandemic is and is downtown Indianapolis has like five hospitals, like literally three minutes away from uh, Lucas Oil and, and Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Um, when they had the NFL Combine testing here, one of the reasons why they kept it in Indy is um, all the hotel rooms in proximity to uh, Methodist Hospital here are minutes away, and that's where they do all like the uh, physical testing, like and medical testing for NFL Combine prospects. So you've got um, a lot of hospitals, you've got a lot of hotel rooms, um, and you've got relatively close proximity for all your bubbles. Um, the farthest one away here is probably like in actual Indy is going to be Hinkle. Um, that's probably going to be about driving wise, about 15 to 20 minutes from downtown. And, and they've, they're doing, uh, Bloomington too, right? Yeah. Um, the interesting thing there is that I, I think what they would be smart to do is just to put teams in bubbles in Bloomington and, and West Lafayette. Um, like you look at a map and you think, oh, West Lafayette's not that far away. And then you try and drive to West Lafayette and it's, uh, it's not like a straight shot on 65. You've got to like meander a bit. Um, same with Bloomington. Bloomington's about 45 minutes south. Um, and they're doing a lot of construction down there. If they were smart, they would just like they would just bubble it and you just have eight teams down in Bloomington, eight teams staying in Mac, staying up in West Lafayette. And then once you like cull the teams down enough, you bring everybody back to Indianapolis. But, um, logistically like it's, it's worthwhile to do it here. Um, Marion County is not sure if they're even gonna, like, it's way too early to even talk about having fans here, but, um, they picked it. My guess is because of centrality, um, number of venues, you have a bunch of, like I said, hospitals around, and like the NCA headquarters is three blocks from Lucas Oil, so it's there's a lot of administrative and infrastructure reasons why it, it's coming here. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out um, and and how they make it work. Um, but they definitely have, uh, you know, all the facilities, all the kind of personnel that they're going to need to try and make it happen. The big deal will be what happens when they try and get teams in and pre-testing and making sure coming into that sort of quarantine environment that everybody's good. Um, and that, uh, 
everyone's clean when they arrive and they and has a clean bill of health. But uh, we are not in that state right now. Uh, we are far away from that uh, well, when it comes to Missouri basketball. Well, technically, you are in that state. I, I am. <laughs> uh, I reside here. Um, it's a lovely. I love Indianapolis. I would encourage everyone to visit here. Um, underrated food scene. Uh, normally, we have a pretty good concert scene here. Um, you can get in and out of the airport here really easily. It's, it's a wonderful community. I, I love living in Indy. Um, but it'll, it'll be interesting what happens when March gets here um, and, and how they try and, and pull this off. But uh, uh, Indy's, Indy's got experience hosting this kind of stuff. Um, so I, I have faith that they'll at least try and have a good plan in place. Whether, whether uh, it works, who knows. Yeah, I think that's that's where a lot of things are at this point. Um, yeah, so Missouri's on pause. Uh, that happened um, prior to um, the game on Saturday, which was expected to be LSU. LSU pivoted and was able and to kick the crap out of. Uh, yeah and i kind of commented to you it's just like you know sometimes when it comes to lsu like you either get fully engaged lsu or you get lackadaisical lsu and i feel like missouri over the last few years has gotten lackadaisical lsu um you know and part of that is yeah obviously you know Conzo's teams have typically kind of come into a lot of games really looking prepared um you know maybe with a, a handful um outstanding but uh but they've looked prepared against lsu and and uh uh, lsu looked very prepared for Ole miss and so with missouri not playing i decided uh it was probably a a decent idea to kind of put together a little bit of like a kind of a power rankings like i'll call them power rankings but you know just kind of looking back at where we thought the sec would be uh, kind of going into the season uh, and where they are. Um, and I was actually kind of surprised like when I started looking at everything at, at how close to the expectations we were. I think the only team, and, I, and, and I'm still, I said this in my writing, I'm still not completely sold that, that Mississippi State is, um, is, you know, like a, top six team or anything like that but they're you know they've certain certainly won the games that are on their schedule uh aside from a double overtime loss to kentucky uh kentucky has looked like they may have figured something out in gainesville um you know even though they've looked you know pretty atrocious for the rest of the schedule um so with with all that kind of going forward i mean missouri kind of coming off their uh second loss of the year and you know both losses in the sec um you know i i I dropped them to seventh despite the fact that i think their record overall and and their resume is top 25 worthy um at this point in sec play with them being one and two i i had them at seventh i think it's a fair way to slot them i think going into the lsu game last week um i sent you just like a snapshot or a screenshot of kind of where Missouri's offensive ratings have been in each of their games a season or their efficiency on the offensive end of the floor. And it's been in a steady decline since the, over the last four or five games. Um, they've, um, you know, they had a good, 
outing at Arkansas, but part of me wonders how much of that had to do with Justin Smith's absence and how that kind of forced um, Arkansas to adjust its rotation a little bit. But, you know, they, they struggled offensively. Um, they probably put together three good halves, three bad halves. Uh, then there's the Bradley game on top of that. Um, the jump shooting at this point, as we've talked about numerous times, is probably not in a valley. This is probably just its steady state. Um, Drew Smith has looked out of sorts. Um, how much of that is from the wrap on his hand? I'm not sure. But, you know, there's there's been the recent foul troubles there. There's been the ball handling issues there. Um, and so it, it, their non-conference record still is what it is. They still have four quad one wins on their schedule. They're still ranked 17th. But I think you look at their trajectory they've been on it's been a little, um, you know, I think things have gotten a little bit dicier for them. I think teams have figured out the scout on this group. Um, and, and as you move forward, the, the real question going to the LSU game was that felt like an early, a, a, you didn't want to put too much weight on it, but it felt like a tipping point in some senses because if they had lost that game, they'd be at one and three right now. Um, a win would have had them level. So, I, I look at the recent performances of the last four or five games um, and just kind of what the trend lines have been, and I don't think putting them at seventh is at all a slight. I think you know you could acknowledge they had a really, really good non-con record, but you know the recent data points have not been as uh, lustrous for them. I think the real question moving forward is, is this their ceiling, you know, or is this kind of where we expected them to settle out? You know, I think... A couple weeks ago, you had said that they were looking like a team that could maybe push for, you know, finishing fourth or fifth in the standings. And if that's still the ceiling, is this kind of a steady state for them? Do they settle out at seventh? Or do we have to revise looking at where the floor and the ceiling is for this group? I still think it's too early, but there's some signs that maybe they're leveling off a little bit. And we'll see where they wind up. But um, I, I think having them... You know, right there with Florida and Arkansas is probably a fair place to slot them. Yeah, so I, I think this is sort of, I don't know, where you and I, uh, we, we, we kind of tend to be a little bit more reserved, uh, both through good times and bad times. <laughs> um <laughs> And, you know, as I always like to say, I, I think I tend to be a little bit more optimistic uh, about certain things. And, and so I say that because um, even kind of coming into the season, I feel like I I was kind of talking you into Missouri a little bit more than maybe they, they deserved to be uh, talked up. Um, and, and mainly because, like, I still believe in the baseline talent of the team and um, I still thought that, uh, you know, like the preseason projections overall were pretty low, uh, and really all Missouri needed was was just a little bit of a, uh, a a break for for them to. And I never really thought that we'd be talking about a top twenty five team, um, you know. But you go out and you beat. Oregon, you beat Illinois, uh, you remain undefeated until conference play starts, even in an abbreviated 
abbreviated uh, non-conference season, then you're gonna like you're gonna open some eyes nationally. Um, that that being said, I still feel like Missouri's a little overranked by a lot of people. <laughs> um, you know, and and so like I think Jeff Goodman still has them at like sixteen or seventeen, and it's just like I mean, the AP has them at seventeen today. So I mean, they're... I mean, it's just like I, look, I I do think that like Missouri's ceiling, which I don't really th- feel like they've played there yet, um, but I still kind of feel like this team's ceiling is still kind of outside the top twenty-five. And I really think like when the season is over with and you're looking at everyone's complete resume, um, I mean that the top twenty-five to me is 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 always going to be a little bit of a weird thing because uh, you know the Big Ten is going to do a great job of beating up on each other, but there's really like probably eight or nine teams that are deserving of being ranked in the top 25, but some of those teams are going to have records that are pretty ugly. Um, you know, if you're just kind of looking at... So, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up the Big Ten real quick. So we, we can... Cause... Uh, I mean, the Big Ten's average adjusted efficiency rate right now is 18.82. The Big 12 is 18.14. And there's just a three-point gap with the ACC at 14.9. And then nearly a point gap with the SEC at 14.3. It's like the median Big Ten team. Like, like among teams that are expected to go 500 in con... Of a, team that, a 500 team in the Big Ten facing a 500 team in the SEC would be almost a five-point favorite on a neutral floor. That's how wide the gap is right now between those two conferences. So it, it really is, that's not a small gap in efficiency margin at all. That's if, if I were to pull that up right now and just look at the Kim Palm rating at this point, the number right now, Houston is at number 11. They have a 23.9 adjusted efficiency rating. If you were to go down to 18, that's, that would basically be about 20 spots in Kim Palm's rating right now. So that that's really what you're looking at right now. The average Big Ten team is about would probably be about five points on a neutral floor, 20 spots better well, so, than the average SEC team. So I think, you know, like one thing, you look at somebody like Maryland. Um, Maryland's projected right now to go 9-11 and 11 overall. Uh, if Maryland finishes 9-11, they're currently 45th in Kim Palm. Uh Let's say that they finish there. They're nine or sorry, nine eleven in conference, fourteen and twelve overall. Um, they've lost to Clemson, who is uh, top twenty. Rutgers, uh, Rutgers has slipped a bit, um, but they're top forty. Purdue's top forty. Uh, Michigan's top ten. Indiana's top twenty-five. Iowa's top five. Uh, they have wins over Illinois, who's top ten. They have uh, they've beaten Wisconsin, who's fifth, uh, and a, a bunch of you know mid-major uh, type teams. If you put them in the SEC right now, they would probably be projected to land somewhere probably around like ten and eight. If you were to put them in the SEC, yeah, in in that range, so it, it's three or four wins in the win column. They would actually right be now. between. Um, 
uh, Florida, Missouri, and Kempom. Yep. Maybe around 10 and 8 in the SEC. Or sorry, I, so I, should, I should clarify that because Kentucky has soared all the way up to 43rd uh, after their their big win at Florida. Yeah. I, I think to your point about the ceiling, and this is a good time, I feel like, with the COVID pause to kind of like, and I'm going to hopefully have a post ready tomorrow kind of looking at where the rotation is and kind of my thoughts on that. I, I think it's a good time to kind of take an initial stock of this group in a certain way, because you're about ready to hit the quarter pole. You've seen about 10 games, nine or 10 games. And if in the past, Kim Palm has said, you know, in his rank, you know, in his view, like a team is what it is, at least from an analytics perspective after nine or 10 games, you don't see a lot of like major swings after that. Like a team's profile is kind of locked in at that point. And now you're going to start seeing some old data filter out. And so I, I think it's just this week would have been big because I think you would have started to say, okay, this team is what it is. They would have come out of LSU with that result, you know, being what it would have been, you know, win or loss at two and two or one and three. And we would have turned the page to a week where the schedule would have lightened a little bit with Vandy and A&M. But I think we would have started to say, okay, this team looks like kind of what we think the finished product's going to be, and what is that? Um, and to your point about where they are in the rankings right now, where they're rate, I think the voters have done what I would do if I were in their shoes, or I would you know reward teams for what the results on the floor are. Like you wrote this when you kind of did your thing, did your piece on understanding efficiency margin. Just the circumstances around how analytic models are spitting out results right now is unusual. Um, and right now, those of using them as an evaluative tool require some caution. So I think in that case, you default to what the results on the floor are. And from that perspective, like I, I know I'm always kind of the stock pessimist for us. But I thought voters did a good job. I thought they looked at Missouri and they said, this team has beaten teams that we think are, you know, going to be, you know, quality opposition. They've, you know, they've done it on a road and a neutral floor. We're going to reward them for that. And I think that was justified. I think the question is, was that true to Missouri's character? And I think you and I have always sort of thought maybe water was going to find its level at a certain point. The question is, where is that? And I think that's what we're kind of talking around right now is, is that a settling out at six or seven? Is it ninth or tenth? You know, that's really I think where we are right now, and it's and it's hard to to speak definitively on that. But I think as you go through, you know, the early results of non uh, early results of SEC play, I think what we're seeing is, um, you know, one better health. I think obviously they haven't had any catastrophic injuries or a slew of minor ones that have forced them to scramble and, and adjust um i'd say we still have qualms at times with with pinson and tillman but i think they are slightly more reliable than they were a year ago um and as we've mentioned a lot the jump shooting is is probably not going to improve it probably is what it is um i think i sent you this today if you look like if the offense's goal is to create corner threes after nine games in 2019 and 2020, Missouri was shooting 19% on corner threes at, after nine games a season ago. 
after nine games this season, what do you, what, what is their percentage? What do you think it is? I know you know, but just humor. It, like it's, if, it's, if you'd if you'd asked me to guess, I'd have guessed maybe twenty three or four percent. It's twenty percent. It's it's literally the dead same. The number of attempts last year at this time from the corner were fifty two. This year, fifty five. It, it it's basically a carbon copy of their jump shooting from a year ago. And as I wrote a couple of weeks ago, that trend line is stems back a couple of years. So like, if you're going to evaluate this team today, like they're in better health, which is good because it means their rotation is stable. Um, they've got, you know, better performance on guys who need to provide that. But if, if you're hoping that last year was just sort of an anomaly, it, it's not. So, as you assess that moving forward, like, I think that, you know, as we go into facing A&M and as, you know, we move on through that, this, you know, the one thing about a lot of continuity and experience is, you know, you are kind of what you are at this point. And the real question is, what does that generate results-wise for Missouri? And coming into this year, to circle back to your point, we thought that if they had better health and a little more consistency, they might be a team that would get to nine or 10 sec wins. And they're kind of on that trajectory right now. So I don't think, and I, I think as we assess where they sit now, what's happened is the non-conference season maybe inflated some expectations when realistically, like the team has kind of performed like we thought it would. It just, it just lo- it front loaded a lot of really quality results. But I think as we move through the season, we're going to see it level out. And uh, to me, I still think that it winds up putting them around eighth or ninth in the standings. Um, but but we'll see. Um, we'll see. We'll see how things fare out. We'll see how you know what the we'll let the outcomes actually come in and, and evaluate them. Well, it's certainly been interesting, you know, kind of watching the overall kind of start to SEC play because. I do, I do think that there was, uh, you know, and we've talked about variance a lot, and there's, I think there's been more variance, um, on a regular basis than even I expected, um, and Missouri was really resistant to that, uh, early on, like, they're, you know, they were they were consistent, um. You know, offensively for the first, you know, five games, they look like the kind of team that, uh, you know, it's like, like I said, yeah, I think if, if all things are equal, I think Missouri is a team that, that should be able to, um, you know, get to the NCAA tournament. Um, I think 500 uh, is probably about where they'll, uh, or maybe slightly above 500 and, uh, in the SEC is about where they're probably going to end up, you know. But the the way that things have varied from the start of the season for me is is it's been kind of wild, um, you know. Like I, I think one of the teams that I'm we I, we were both high on uh, was Alabama, kind of coming into the season, and they just they looked bad. Um you know, for a large chunk of the season <laughs> to the point, you know, like that 
they they got embarrassed by Stanford, and Stanford's pretty good, um, but they got embarrassed by Stanford. You know, they were struggling to beat uh, so-so teams. They struggled against Furman, uh, lost to Western Kentucky at home. You know, and then, like, they just blew the doors off Ole Miss. Uh, they shot really well against Tennessee. They shot really well against Florida. Uh, and then they were capable of outscoring Auburn um, with uh, Sharif Cooper back in the mix. Uh, you know, and I, I do think that that's another thing. You know, Auburn's a team that I sort of gave them a one-spot Sharif Cooper bump. Um, you know, mainly because the team that we saw, like Auburn, was was bad, and they're they're zero uh, and four in league play, but they were way more competitive with Sharif Cooper because, hey, like having a good point guard is important for that offense. Who'd have thought that adding one would make them better? Um, they're still going to be leaky on defense, but I, I just think like looking at a team like Alabama, we thought that they would be good. And if you look at the entire uh, non-conference season, you're like, oh boy, that's... Uh, it's kind of a rough start. Maybe maybe they'll be more like they were last year. Maybe they'll be like 500, a little erratic, um, you know, but they're 4-0 right now. I, I looked at, you know, when I go through and I pick the schedule, I do it in kind of like six-game chunks. You know, aside from a few results, like I look at the standings, and this is kind of, you know, setting aside Mississippi State and Auburn, kind of what I thought the standings were going to look like in a lot of ways. Um, I, you know, I thought South Carolina was going to play more than one conference game, but I, I think the one thing as I, you know, you talk about Arkansas, like I look at a team like Arkansas, their schedule was set up in a way that I thought they would go through the first six games at like two and four or three and three. And same with Missouri. I just thought the way those schedules were loaded up was going to make maybe for a bumpier ride on the front end, but both teams kind of get back end or have back ends of their slates where they can, really make some hay. And I think that's the other thing to kind of take into account here is how the schedules are structured and is going to feed into that. I thought Alabama would be three and one right now. Um, and I had Tennessee at three and one. I had LSU at three and one. Uh, I had, I did have Arkansas at two and two. I had Florida at three and one. Um, but I, I had Missouri right now at two and two. I assume they were going to beat Mississippi state and, you know, but you know, that and then you know, maybe take a loss to LSU, but I had Missouri at two and two. So as I look at it, I think you you sort of made the point after you wrote your piece when you were just texting with me that you know the league right now kind of looks semi familiar in a, in a way. Um, whether that holds up amid you know COVID stoppages and stuff is going to be interesting to see, but it, it'll be fascinating to me if like the only things that the only real outliers here are Mississippi state being good and Auburn being bad. Cause I could have foreseen Auburn potentially hitting the skids if they didn't, if they ran into issues, like if Cooper got hurt, he didn't get hurt, but he was delayed, you know, with eligibility questions. Um, and Mississippi state, you know, is there's always one of those teams every year where you're kind of surprised by what player development does. So like if you had said to me, DJ Stewart and Iverson Molinar were going to be just that potent, and it wasn't just what they did against Missouri. I mean, it was a shooting exhibition against Missouri, but they'd been playing really well going into that game. And just like 
Iverson, the way those guys have developed is just awesome. Like, and that's a credit to that staff and to those guys for turning themselves into that kind of perimeter duo. But you can't always foresee that coming. But everything else is sort of like falls within, like you were saying, if you look at the movement of where you had teams projected and where they sit now and where we pegged them, not a lot of it is shocking. Um, I think it only looks different because, you know, non-conference was so stilted and disjointed. We didn't really get a good sense for these teams. You know, it's hard after just five or six games to really get a good feel for everyone. Um, but as through the first, you know, quarter of the conference schedule, things kind of look vaguely familiar. Um, if you're a Missouri fan, though, you're hoping that uh, Missouri is one of those outliers and is going to get back to the team it was the first three or four games and, and makes a push up the standings because there, uh, there's room for it if they want to if they want to you know put together a run. Yeah, and and coming back, I mean, anytime you have to go to College Station, um, you know it's going to be a tough game. But certainly Texas A&M, uh, they don't seem to quite have the same luck <laughs> that they. They very clearly had last year, and I think part of that, like I, I, I think one of the things with with Texas A and M that, and it's kind of like maybe the same thing with Stewart and Molinar's. I don't quite think you look at, um, you know, that that team that had Josh Nebo, who I, I always really liked, uh, and Wendell Mitchell as a guy who was crafty, and Savion Flag, who who has proven to be at at worst consistent. Um, or at least consistently like a solid player and and a coach like Buzz Williams and you you take sort of the, the core of those guys with some uh, s- some new blood and and suddenly they're a lot better but you know them going 10 and eight last year in conference was uh, was sort of out of bounds for how good of a team they were. Um, they were not a good team. Um, I mean like, we all like to uh, to hammer on, um, you know, on, on Jesse Newell. But over the course of a season, like you have X number of possessions <laughs> you get to play, and and how you handle all those possessions is is it it proves over the course of the season how good of a team you are. And Texas A and M was was ten and eight in the league, but they were one hundred thirty first in Kempom. Um, you know, so I think coming into the season losing uh losing Mitchell and and losing Nebo I I, I thought was going to set them back uh and certainly it has I mean they beat um again a Sharif Cooperless Auburn team uh but it, it only beat it by a couple points and they've lost two 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 games in a row and they've scored 54 points so yeah. Like you just you, you you look at a guy like Quentin Jackson who was solid last year. He's been about the same. You look at you know a guy like Andre Gordon who was not great last year, but at seventy nine point two for his offensive ring, he's at ninety two point two this year. You know I think you know JJ Chandler has never you know has regressed his last two years from a pretty good sophomore campaign. Savian Flag too has you know, is average. And, you know, you look at a guy like Jonathan Aku, who you thought might take a step forward and that, that really hasn't happened. It's, 
like we talked about this team's potential of, of, of them having, you know, three or four guys who are like six to 10 point scores around flag and bringing in Marfo to kind of be your Josh Nebo. And, you know, then having Jonathan Aku, you know, maybe take a sophomore, take a step forward as a sophomore. And Jackson Robinson, who was a, a touted freshman coming in. And you thought if, if they take some moderate steps forward and improve, no, they could probably go 10 and 8 again. But that hasn't happened. There's It just seems like a lot of guys on that roster, you know, outside of like an Emmanuel Miller, who has really improved, only Emmanuel Miller's really taken a, a positive step forward for them. And, you know, if your veterans like Flagg or Chandler or Quentin Jackson aren't able to produce for you, you're really just looking at a roster that's doing a hard reset right now. And I think that's kind of where Buzz is at this point, is I think he did such a good job last year getting people to buy into the culture and they bought into being a defense first team and being tough and playing for each other and doing and, and finding a way to kind of coalesce around that identity. But like you said, Wendell Mitchell, not flashy, but he was going to get you 12 to 14 a game. Nebo, not flashy, but he was going to defend the rim and rebound. They just haven't had those kind of assets really step forward or emerge yet. And also and with I, Nebo, I think, I think uh, an underrated thing was he was one of the fiercest dunkers, like yeah, he, ca- capable, he yeah, capable of of giving the entire team a boost with how like hard he would dunk the basketball. Um, and I, I like I realize that that comes off as something that maybe is a little flippant, but I, I don't think you can really um, like like having that level of energy and excitement off of a made basket uh, is something that I, I, I really do think carries a lot of weight. And I think like even like Xavier Pinson's dunk against Auburn last year and, um, or was that, that was Florida. Um, yeah. So the, the dunk where he, he kind of caught it on the break and, and kind of caught Omar Payne a little bit um, like stuff like that really generates a lot of excitement. And, and I think Nebo for all of his, I mean, not being a guy you necessarily wanted to throw the ball to on the block. Uh, he was an elite pick and roll guy because I mean, once you got him into the short corner, once you got him on dump offs on putbacks, um, you know, for, for what Texas A&M was, was trying to do. And I just like, they're just never going to get that kind of production from Marfo. Who's, a little bit more grounded as a, as a post guy. Um, yeah. Like he's, he's a guy. He's, he, I mean, he, he'll, he'll do some cleanup and stuff like that, but, but he's not going to generate the level of energy and excitement that, that Nebo and what was, was capable of. So. And, and it's, I think the hard part for them is I look at this team last year and they, they found a way to be tough and sticking games. They got destroyed by LSU they eked out a home win over, you know, a Shreve Cooperless Auburn, went to South Carolina, got destroyed, and then I watched, you know, I, the first full game I saw of them in SEC play was against Tennessee, and Tennessee had that one in control, like after six or seven minutes, like th- the level of non-competitiveness in some of these games early on, I think, is discouraging because they were very, they would compete their asses off last year and. 
you would look at them in, you know, I'm going to pull it up now because they were ranked 77th in adjusted defensive efficiency overall, but they were fifth in the SEC. They guarded their asses off. And right now they're 10th. Like the, the slippage defensively is probably what I've noticed, but they're dead last in offensive efficiency, which I didn't expect. I thought they would at least, you know, get to eighth or ninth, be average on the offensive end. And I thought they would find a way to grit their way into some games and then have some veterans, whether that was, like we said, whether that was going to be a Quentin Jackson or it was going to be savvy on flag, you know, carry them home. And that hasn't happened for them. So if you're a Missouri fan, you know, facing an offensively challenged team on the road and one that's struggling to defend right now is probably a good remedy for you. So if you're looking at it from Missouri's perspective, if you're coming off a layoff, there are worse teams to get right now than A&M because they just look disjointed from the identity that gave them so much lift last season. Yeah, so part of their issue this year uh, has been on the offensive side. I mean, obviously we've, we've talked about slippage and defense, but the offensive side... Uh, an offense, <laughs> offensive efficiency, they're at 87 points per 100 possessions. Um, man, that's, that's, that is brutal. Uh, but I was looking at the, the turnover rate, which in conference play is at, uh, it's 25%, which is one out of every four possessions. And when uh, you play the tempo they do, that's just not, that's just not sustainable. It's just, it, it, it cuts your legs out from underneath you. Yeah, so part of that they're relying on a guy a guy that I like a lot as as a you know projecting out as a point guard and that's Hassan Diara. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean he's he's a freshman uh, and and this is one of those things where we talk about relying on on freshmen for big bulk minutes and there's a difference between what kind of freshman you get and Diara is a guy who's going to be really good, but he's like top sixty I think um, top seventy five. Yeah. Uh, which is a guy that you can play a lot early, but not a guy that you need to be relying upon. And and I think particularly at a point guard position, which is a really really tough position, uh, you know, to play as a young player unless you are elite. Um, and and I yeah I think Diara will get there, but uh, they just don't really have. Even like Andre Gordon is not a guy who I I think um, you're really comfortable with. Uh, as a no. as a as a point guard, he's a little bit more of a combo guard. Um, so when when you have kind of two guys who aren't great handling the ball to start, um, you know, Diara's turnover rate is like thirty four percent, and um, yeah, it and real what what's interesting, what's a testament to what you're saying is like you break out their live ball turnovers versus their non live ball turnovers, like more than half of them are dead ball are what you would aren't forced turnovers like they're just bad decision makings they're poor passes they're bobbled passes on the receipt end of a, of a play i mean it 14 percent of their turnovers are 14 percent possessions are ending with a non-steal turnover which tells you that they're having some issues in terms of initiating offense and running offense and if you're putting a lot of that on dr to be your creator it makes sense why that would happen well if you if you follow uh me on Twitter, I think I actually pointed out like that's one of the things after they beat, I think they beat Auburn. They beat Auburn in like a last second shot, right? Wasn't that that game? Um, Andre Gordon hit that bank shot, yeah. Uh, but they were talking to 
uh, Buzz Williams, and that was one of the things that he was talking about. And that's one of the things like I always appreciate about Buzz is his ability to sort of you know take in, in the media in, in general. Like a lot of these guys ask really sort of bad questions. Uh, and he took kind of a bad question and turned it into a, just a phenomenal answer. And it ended up kind of being about how he's, he's teaching these guys about about their turnovers and how many live ball turnovers they have. And, and you know, it is like one of those things when you talk about, like, the momentum of a basketball game. Like, live ball turnovers can be killers. Uh, and it looks like, you know, Texas A&M is just living through a lot of those bumps right now. Um, overall, I like, I still, like, I love that hire. Uh, I love what Buzz Williams is, what I think he's going to accomplish. I think within a couple of years, like that's going to be a top four uh, SEC basketball team, like on a pretty regular basis. Um, I just, it's just a really, really great hire. And uh, they're 237th in experience and he's running a lot of young guys through They're 65th nationally in bench minutes. So, I mean, they're, they're moving some youth through. Uh, at certain positions, so it, it makes sense. They've got a great class coming in next year as well. So yeah, he's got a, this, like a top thirty uh, two guard, I think. Yep, yeah, he'll. You put him and Diara together, and uh, Jackson Robinson was a top fifty kid um, who's playing behind Flag right now, um, but it's going to be really good. They're going to have a good backcourt yeah. next year. Um, I, I'm really just, like if you if you give uh, Robinson like another. 10 or 15 pounds he could be a monster but yep. he is he is yep. a slight slight six seven right now yeah, yeah. he's he, he's lean and i think that's the you and i have talked about this and we, we promise we'll talk less about texas a&m is you know buzz and jerry stackhouse took diametric approach uh, diametrically opposed approaches to guys like eric musselman and nate oates which is they they didn't turn their rosters over insanely fast. You know, they're bringing in, you know, they're not, you know, Marfo is a transfer, but he was brought in to, you know, anchor a position to be a one-year stopover because they were going to still be young along the front line. But, you know, Buzz is gradually turning the roster, gradually bringing in his guys, getting vets to buy in and play in his culture. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going to look at the Buzz hire after you know, one or two years and go, Oh God, this is looking bad. And then year three, you're going to look up and be like, Oh God, there's like three top 20 recruiting classes here. And Holy crap. They defend their asses off. And Oh man, Hassan Diara has gotten so much better, man. Look at, look at Robinson. He's put on, he's put on his, that weight and he's improved and his jumpers come along and you're going to look up at this team. And you're going to, like, yeah, that, that looks like a Buzz Williams team. And uh, you know, even you look at a team like Vandy this year, you know, Vandy hasn't always been great, but they've got a guy in Scottie Pippen. Dylan DeSue's look good at times. And so I think it's just it's a testament to how different the models of rebuild are. And a lot of praise and attention is getting lavished on what Eric Musselman's done and what Nate Oates is doing. I think Buzz is, is quietly working, and it'll show up pretty soon, or it'll manifest itself pretty soon. I agree. So that's who uh, Missouri is, I think, most likely to play. <laughs> um, if they uh, if they are able to go off pause and, and play a basketball game this weekend. Um, in the meantime, uh, I think we just sort of sit and wait and see what's going to happen. 
Um, we did that for eight months, so I mean, nothing new. Yeah, it, it's it was a little weird. Like on Saturday, you just sort of get into the the rhythm of, uh, or you know, trying to get into a rhythm of college basketball season. I I did watch some college basketball, but not Missouri. Um, yeah, so hopefully they're back. Um, regardless, we'll be back next week, right? Uh, I think Beyond the Box Score is going to record. I think uh, Nate Edwards is going to return to the mic, fighting through the uh, newborn, you know, baby blues. I don't, is it baby? Like, it's not really like. I'm not, 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 it's just lack of sleep. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, just like it, it. I know it sucks. <laughs> like, I'm sure he's thrilled with with his 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 kid and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, not sleeping sucks. And I and uh, yeah, so. But I I think he's going to return to the mic. So I think uh, if you are subscribed to the podcast, uh, you will get a a brand new episode of Beyond the Box Score this week. Featuring Brandon Kylie and Nate Edwards. Much more upbeat than us, probably. Much more upbeat. Well, I don't know. I mean, I know I know BK is. He's always like, I think he's a, he's a professional. Though. Yeah, like I think there was something on Twitter the other day about how someone was giving him a hard time for always sounding like he's smiling when he's talking. <laughs> And if you That's called a professional like, broadcast. Like what's funny is like if you know BK, like that's just like that's how he is. And uh I've had many off air conversations with, with Brandon because I consider him a friend at this point and uh and he's just he's always like that. It's 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 funny. He he is a professional broadcaster even in his uh his personal life. So uh that's this BK. Um, but Matt and I are done. We're out of here. Uh, make sure you follow Matt where he gives you all the, the deep thoughts and analysis um, on on the Twitter sphere. Uh, you can f- Like Missouri can't shoot real <laughs> deep analysis. Mitch Smith is good at defense. Um, <laughs> Don't pass in the ball in the corner. Yeah. Stop shooting threes, guys. Uh, okay, but yeah, we'll be back. Follow me on Twitter, Sam T. Snelling. Follow Matt, Matt J. Harris, 85. Uh, all complaints go to Mitch, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. We'll be back with more dive cuts. Until then, thanks for tuning in.